You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. Assalamualaikum, peace be upon you, and welcome to a very special episode of Sisters on Air on the Voice of Islam Radio. I say special because today we are broadcasting to you live from the studio in Hadiq Dulmadi, the site of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Community's International Annual Convention, a three-day event that hails tens of thousands of visitors from across the UK and around the world featuring topical speeches, a number of fascinating exhibitions, and of course, daily faith-inspiring addresses from our Khalif, His Holiness Mirza Masrur Ahmed, may Allah be his helper. Ahmadis look forward to attending the annual convention all year round, and by the grace of Allah, we are finally here. This year, 2023, saw the return of the annual Women's Auxiliary Peace Symposium, post-COVID, where the theme was centered on embracing equity. Both concepts of equity and equality form part of the principles of Islamic teachings. And in this episode, we will be delving deeper into these concepts, their roles in Islam and the practices of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community and the wider implications of embracing equity in wider society. Although contextually, the meaning of equality might be used differently. So, for example, referring to equal rights or equal opportunities, equal access. The fundamental understanding of equality is having the same for all. Meanwhile, equity is a lesser discussed concept. It's about um, considering the individual needs of all and consequently ensuring bespoke provisions as a means to achieve peace and justice. I am your host for today, Durishawar Anwar. I work as a secondary school science teacher. I have the honor to be the host of our show today and I'd li- like to introduce our studio guests. I'm joined by Sumra Malik, who works in the finance industry and will soon be starting a finance role at Sky. Anila Talukdar has a master's in chemistry and is working as a full-time primary school teacher. Saleha Bakhtiar, who has just completed her master's in pharmacy and will soon be starting her placement as a trainer pharmacist. And Sofia Aftab, who is a program manager working in medical communications. Assalamualaikum, peace be on you all and welcome to today's show. Welcome, Thank you for having us. Samra, before we delve into our main discussion today, please can you talk more about the annual convention for listeners that may not be aware about it? Sure, so following on from what you touched upon, the annual convention, or if I say Jalsa Salana, is the most significant event in the Ahmadiyya Muslim community's calendar. It spans across three days, Friday, Saturday and Sunday, and it's a unique convention, not only enriched with moral and spiritual reformation, but it's one uniting Ahmadiyya brothers and sisters from across the globe. If I take us all the way back to 1891, the year in which the first annual convention was held in the small village of Gardian, India, attended by only 75 members, and now, 132 years later, around 50,000 Ahmadi Muslims are expected to be in attendance here at this UK annual convention. Wow. I think we need to take a, ma- a moment to you know, let that sink in, and it shows just how far the Ahmadiyya Muslim community has progressed since 1891. Whilst annual conventions are held in almost every part of the world, the annual convention here in the UK is an international one, and it, we host many guests from all over the world. Yes, by the grace of God, our community is present and active the world over. You mentioned the first annual convention in Gardian, India, over a century ago. What was the origin of this event and what is its purpose? So the annual convention was established by the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, the Promised Messiah, His Holiness, Mirza Ghulam Ahmad, may peace be upon him. And I don't think there is a better way to explain the purpose of the annual convention than to reflect on his words. At the first annual convention, the Promised Messiah, peace be upon him, stated, and I quote, 
The primary purpose of this convention is to enable every sincere individual to personally experience religious benefits. They may enhance their knowledge due to their being blessed and enabled by Allah the Exalted. Their, pre their perception of Allah may progress. Among its, among its secondary benefits is that this congregational meeting together will promote mutual introduction among all brothers and it will strengthen the fraternal ties within its community." End quote. I think from this we can understand a few key principles underpinning the convention, you know, those being to increase one's communion with Allah the Almighty, to pray for those brothers who have passed away, to meet new members and increase in brotherhood, and to gain an increase in knowledge. Here in the UK we're blessed by the presence of His Holiness Mirza Masroor Ahmed, may Allah be his helper, the fifth and current worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Listening to His Holiness's keynote addresses and having the opportunity to offer five daily prayers behind His Holiness is a truly soul-enriching experience. You know, I think I speak for all of us when I say the atmosphere here at the annual convention is just so difficult to put into words. It's an atmosphere which you just have to experience. And you know, if you're able to, it, it's all run by volunteers with every aspect covered accommodation, the langar, which can be translated as public kitchen, and it caters for three wholesome meals a day for anyone and everyone on site. First aid, religious and academic exhibitions and presentations, the bazaar, which hosts and supports many small businesses, and there's even a creche to give mum some well-deserved rest. It's like a treasure, it's like a, you know, a treasure chest of knowledge everywhere you go, and you always learn something new. I think what makes it even better is that the ladies section is solely run by women with hundreds of ladies working together and it's a prime example of how the Ahmadiyya Muslim community empowers women. Thank you for that Samra. I can really hear the excitement in your voice when you talk about the atmosphere here at Hadiq Dolmadi and I totally agree with you. It's not something that can easily be put into words. Rather, the atmosphere of the annual convention is something that needs to be experienced. And the buzz is even more so today because on Saturday, His Holiness graces the women's side of the convention for his first address. You mentioned the women's side and we're going to discuss more about that later in the show, but I just wanted to add here that the feeling of comfort and solidarity and sisterhood I feel at the annual convention is unparalleled. Now, I said in my introduction that central to today's episode were the themes of equity and equality. When the terms equity and equality are discussed, there are a couple of images that come to mind. One that I think many listeners might be familiar with is the illustration of like four individuals of different heights trying to look over a fence. In the image denoting equality, all the individuals are given a stool of the same height, but this very clearly only benefits the tallest of the group. Adjacent to this is the image denoting equity, where everyone is given a stool that is appropriate for their height so that everyone can see over the fence. It's such a simple cartoon, but so powerful in its commentary about how equality and equity can be, in the, can be understood and how their purpose and value might be compared. In my experience, it seems that equality, the idea of sameness, has been the ultimate goal for many social justice movements. However, people of any group cannot be considered a monolith and so this struggle for justice through equality alone might somewhat be misguided. Anila, what are your thoughts on this? Do social justice movements focus too heavily on equality? I think I need to see this picture you're talking about. It sounds very interesting and definitely depicts things nicely. I mean, as a teacher, I feel like it relates nicely to school life. Equality would mean giving all the children the same thing and expecting them to complete the task set. While most children in the class 
would be able to complete this task. We as teachers know that some children have different barriers to their learning. So depending on the child and their barriers, we would provide various scaffolds to help them all get to that same end goal. Much like the equity side of the fence picture you were telling us about earlier. However, when it comes to following the golden rules or the rules of the school, that's where there is the equality side of things. Everyone has to follow them. And if they don't, there are consequences. Though again, I guess there's the equity side there as well. If we know there are children who struggle with certain things, we put interventions in place to help them be successful in abiding by the rules. Where there is equality, there needs to be equity, I think. Perhaps that's what we need to consider, in a school anyway, as it's a place of learning. It's really interesting that you bring up that uh, bring that up actually because I think school is quite a good model for demonstrating how ensuring equality for everyone without accounting for individual or personal circumstances can lead to greater disparity. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it illustrates the idea that inequality is not always synonymous with unfairness or injustice as it's often perceived. Inequality with equ equitable adjustments is actually more beneficial in both school work and other social settings. You asked about social justice movements, and I think the key term there is justice. And the question that this once again raises is that does justice lie within equality? I think the answer to this is quite situational. The need for these such movements stems from experiences of injustice or oppression. And I think then it's more about levelling the playing field, which leans more to equity. We need to put things into place to counteract past injustices, to enable fairness and equal opportunity, because it has been denied in the past. The imbalance is already there, so we need to make adjustments to fix it. So instead of just saying we want to be equal and we want to be the same, we need to think of what support we need to reach the ultimate goal of justice. Sometimes I feel like the word equality is misused anyway, just thinking about how some people hold negative views of women in Islam and how because we cover ourselves and wear modest clothing, we're not seen as equal. The people who have these views seem to think that we'll only be equal if we wear less clothes. But why does wearing less clothes relate to equality? This often actually bothers me. Um, it seems that to be equal for a woman, it means that you should not cover up, yet men are allowed to wear what they want. Islam is helping us as women to protect ourselves against the evils of this world so that we can go about our daily lives without hindrance. I guess that's an example of equity. So I think they really go hand in hand, equality and equity, or you need equity to get to equality. But I also think the prejudices people have hinder equality. Yeah, and I think the example you brought, um, brought up about Muslim women is poignant. Feminism has been critiqued for its lack of intersectionality. That is the idea that for most of its history, the feminist movement has served to establish rights for a specific type of woman, one that more often than not, does it not experience other sorts of like mistreatment, so racism, ableism, xenophobia, or any anti-religious sentiments. The issue of how women dress is a prime example of this in that modern feminism aligns itself with the ideal that more revealing clothing is a, is a sign of a woman's autonomy over her body, meanwhile veiling or covering up is a sign of oppression. And we've seen how damaging this is to the lives of women who choose to cover up to the extent that in many European countries legislative measures are being taken to ostracise women who veil from higher education and working environments. I suppose leading on from that then, we must acknowledge that there does seem to be a shift of focus onto embracing equity. Back in 2010, the government at the time um, here in the UK released a white paper titled Equity and Excellence Liberating the NHS, which as indicated, focused on improving healthcare th services through equitable, equitable practices, sorry, um, and taking a more like patient-focused approach. In addition, the theme for International Women's Day this year was all about embracing equity. 
And on the homepage of their website, the organization makes the following statement, and I quote, Equity isn't just a nice to have, it's a must have. A focus on gender equity needs to be part of every society's DNA and it's critical to understand the difference between equity and equality. The aim of the IWD 2023 Embracing Equity campaign theme is to get the world talking about why equal opportunities aren't enough. People start from different places, so true inclusion and belonging require equitable action. End quote. So for me, I think this is a sign that opinions about what justice between genders means and how it should be enforced is, is moving away from this like stringent idea of equality into a realm that balances equity and equality. And although I'm delighted to see this shift in perspective, I'm not surprised that the mass conscious has drifted here, as the philosophy of equality and equity has underpinned the Islamic teachings regarding gender rights since the revelation of the Holy Quran over 1400 years ago. I mentioned that both equality and equity play a role in Islamic teachings. In what circumstances or context does Islam emphasize equality and what's the purpose of this? Well, with regards to equality, I think Islam makes it clear that all people are equal. We are all born equal and no one has any form of superiority over the other. So the Holy Prophet of Islam, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, has many a time stressed the equality of all people. And I always think of the address he gave at, his, at the last Hajj. So the head of the worldwide Ahmadiyya Muslim community has referred to this address multiple times, where the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, stated that all humans, regardless of their background, are equal. We were all created the same, and therefore it is not permissible for us to make any discrimination between high and low. So specifically, the Holy Prophet Muhammad, uh, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said, neither an Arab has superiority over a non-Arab, nor a non-Arab over an Arab. A white person is not superior to a black person, nor a black is superior to a white. The most honorable among you in the sight of God is the one who is the most righteous. This clearly signifies that we are all equal in the eyes of Allah. It doesn't matter which race we are, whether we are rich or poor, and no one can claim superiority over the other. The only way in which we can distinguish ourselves in the eyes of Allah is through our character, our righteousness. I feel like that's the most important aspect of equality in Islam. The fact that Allah sees us uh, all equally and so therefore we should treat everyone as our equal. His Holiness Mirza Masrur Ahmad, may Allah be his helper, delivered a Friday sermon, sermon once where he informed us what the attributes of a true Ahmadi Muslim are. He mentioned the address of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, that I just talked about. And he went on to talk about the current state of the world and the discrimination that exists. He told us that we should abstain from arrogance and pride as these lead to a feeling of superiority. Um, I feel like the way that, that equality is emphasized in Islam is through the way we pray. So we're all prescribed the same number of prayers a day and everyone stands in a row together no matter who they are or what position they have in life. We stand side by side and we all perform the same actions. We say the same words. Everything about the way we pray portrays that in the sight of Allah, we are equal. Therefore, we should treat each other as equals. Thank you for that insight. Congregational prayer is another special feature of the annual convention. Of course, congregational prayers are held in mosques and homes every day, but here with thousands of other worshippers, it has a distinct spiritual feeling. And I really enjoy how you linked congre congregational prayer to how Islam demonstrates that all people are equal in their opportunity to have a relationship with Allah. The congregational prayer means, as you said, that all of us, regardless of socio-economic status, race, education, or any other differentiating parameter, stand together in supplication to our Creator. 
Um, we're going to carry on talking about this in a moment, but we're going to take a quick short break for the news. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text as this is a recording and lines are now closed. Assalamu and welcome back to Sisters on Air on the Voice of Islam Radio, the Jalsa or the annual convention special, where we're discussing ideas of equity, equality um, in, is- in Islam. Uh, we left before the news break talking about how congregational prayer is a really great example of equality within Islam. Um, another misunderstanding of Islam is that women don't have the same spiritual status as men. Uh, Anila, could you speak to this? Yeah, I think I should also touch upon gender equality in Islam here. Uh, amongst other things, like equal opportunity to access education and work, men and women have equal right and opportunity to attain the highest levels of spirituality in Islam. So nothing can better illustrate the philosophy of gender equality in Islam as the following verse from the Holy Quran. So it's chapter 33, verse 36, and I quote, Surely men who submit themselves to God and women who submit themselves to him and believing men and believing women and obedient men and obedient women and truthful men and truthful women and men steadfast in their faith and steadfast women and men who are humble and women who are humble and men who give alms and women who give alms, and men who fast and women who fast, and men who guard their chastity and women who guard their chastity, and men who remember Allah much and women who remember him. Allah has prepared for all of them forgiveness and a great reward." Therefore, God teaches us, in no uncertain terms, that when it comes to judging one's character, when it comes to good deeds and the attainment of God's pleasure, mercy and reward, men and women are considered equal. This links back to what I was saying earlier about how in the eyes of Allah we are all equal and are only distinguished by our righteousness or good deeds. So the Holy Quran clearly states that men and women are equal. There may be certain things that appear to an outsider as inequality, but I think that's where equity comes in. The routes we take to gain righteousness may be a little different. To sum it up, I think that Islam focuses on equality of all people when it comes to their character. For us as Muslims, by being reminded that we are equal and only distinguished by righteousness, it helps us to stay focused on our main goal, which is to please Allah. Thank you for such a great insight and for sharing that Quranic verse with us. I think that makes it really clear, like you said, that when it comes to faith in good deeds and righteousness, all people have equal access to the blessings and reward from God. But that given everybody's differences, the, as you phrased it, roots taken to gain righteousness might be different. For me, the balance between equality and equity in the Islamic teachings is really beautifully established. As you were talking, I remembered an example of this idea of different route to righteousness from the life of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. On one occasion, a female companion of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, Hazrat Umm Salma, may Allah be pleased with her, came to speak with the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, as a representative of the Muslim women at the time. She expressed her concern that many Muslim women in the society were responsible mainly for safeguarding their husband's wealth and property and looking after their homes and raising their children. Meanwhile, the men in society were permitted to lead prayers and join battles in the defense of Islam, and that men would receive greater blessings and reward from God. She asked if women could be equal partners in attaining a reward for their good deeds for fulfilling their responsibilities. In response to this, it is narrated that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, said, and I quote, Go and convey my message to the women whom you represent. Your good conduct towards your husbands, keeping their happiness in view and following them, is so much liked by Allah the Exalted that he gives such eminent women the same reward and blessings as he has mentioned for the men. I think it is important to note here that there are 
there were some women who worked and had businesses who were religious scholars and who fought with men in the battles that took place in early Islamic history. However, this was of course not the case for all women. As such, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, reassured women that they're faithfully adhering to the teachings of Islam, sincerely fulfilling their responsibilities, even within the confines of their home, is pleasing to Allah and will receive the same reward as any other righteous deed. I think this leads nicely into the next part of our show where we consider consider the difference in the roles and responsibilities of men and women in Islam and hope to challenge some of the misconceptions about the quote-unquote fairness of these differences. Now, anyone who attends the annual convention and has the privilege of coming to the women's side and observing firsthand the liberty and capacity of MD Muslim women, <clears throat> such individuals would likely struggle to believe the narrative that Muslim women are oppressed or held back by Islam. However, we know that in some, some instances, particularly relating to gender roles, Islam prescribes different responsibilities to men and women, and a lack of understanding of these teachings often forms the basis of some allegations. Sophia, maybe you can answer this one. Why are men and women given different instructions in some Islamic teachings? Are these teachings equitable and can they be just? So just from a physical standpoint, men and women are different. Yes, we have the same features, but there are substantial differences that need to be taken into consideration. And having said this, by no means does different mean being at a disadvantage. All in all, the teachings of the Holy Quran and the teachings of Islam are for all of mankind. I suppose in keeping with what Anila said earlier, if we use a school setting as an example, so we have the head teacher who's in charge of the school, who makes sure that they're looking after the finances and the teachers as well as their students. Then we may have the head of years who help the children transition from year to year. Then we have the class teachers who teach and educate children every day. And we may also have class helpers or assistants who are there for individual children who may need an extra hand. If any part of this structure was removed, then it would make the organization of the school fall into chaos. Each person has their own role to play in the positive well-being and development of the school. And in turn, the children will then develop and have healthy lives. Same way, we all have different parts to play in this game of life and neither is more important than the other. If the class assistant who has perfect skills with handling children on a one-to-one -one basis deems themselves to not be important, then what happens to those children who needed their support? And this could have a dom domino effect on the whole school. And in the same way, if a woman feels her role as a mother is not important, then what happens to her child? I think it's unfortunate that society places greater value on working and for some reason it looks down on women who choose to stay home and look after their families. In reality, many people, both Muslim and non-Muslim, they come to realise that when maintaining a healthy family home, something has, has got to give. And so this is the wisdom of Islamic teachings, where roles and responsibilities are assigned differently to men and women in order to achieve balance and harmony. So there are a number of Islamic teachings. Some relate to familial responsibilities, others to dress code, others to inheritance and so on, which are different for women than to men and not to ex exclude women from society, but to make it easier for women. Okay, so can you give us some examples? Yeah, of course. Um, one example uh, is that the one of the pillars of Islam is to observe the five daily prayers, the Salat. That is uh, imperative for all Muslims to adhere to this, to observe them at the correct times. But if a woman is menstruating, then she is excused. 
Again, not because she doesn't deserve to be included in society, but because it's a physically and emotionally difficult time, which I think is such a drastic deviation from social norms. So people often take this as a negative thing, which I don't think it is. And realistically, during menstruation, women are experiencing a whole host of physiological changes and challenges, and so our Islamic teachings accommodate for this. Similarly, a pregnant or a breastfeeding woman is, um, is excused from fasting in the holy month of Ramadan, which is another pillar of Islam. This is because the health of the mother and her unborn child is way more important at that moment. She will still be rewarded and she can still observe the month of Ramadan in a different way. She can focus her energies on worshipping whilst also having food and drink. And this is a true example of equity. Equality would have meant she would have been forced to make her unborn child suffer. However, the wonderful teachings of Islam grant her a respite of having um, a nourished and healthy child to grow up and be a righteous follower. From these examples, it's really clear that the Islamic teachings that are not equal or exactly the same across the board definitely have utility and benefit for women. Of course, the annual convention, like all of our community events and congregational prayers, is a segregated one. Now, as we all know, gender segregation already exists in Western society, whether it's separate bathrooms, sports teams, hospital wards, gyms, and even entire girls-only or boys-only schools. Curiously, however, some of the response to the segregation in Qatar during the Football World Cup were of shock, disgust and offence. The Qatar World Cup really brought gender segregation to the front of both news and social media platforms, with, as I said, some women showing great offence to having to stand in separate lines at the airport, and others commenting on how nice it was, lines were shorter, crowds were smaller, and most importantly, the women felt safer. Why are men and women segregated at our annual convention and other events, and what are your thoughts on segregation? So, I think the fourth Khalifa of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, His Holiness Mirza Tahir Ahmed, addressed this really well in his book, um, Islam's Response to Contemporary Issues. And I'd like to share an expert from that book here. I quote, Segregation is grossly misunderstood when it's conceived as an imposition of restriction on female members of the Muslim society from fully participating in all spheres of human activities. This is not true. The Islamic concept of segregation is only to be understood in the context of measures to protect the sanctity of female chastity and the honour of women in society, so that the dangers of violating these objectives are minimised. So we can see that, yes, we are segregated from the men at this moment, but here we are in a radio studio hosting and presenting and producing a show. So if this was truly a restricting religion, then by no means would any of us be here, whether it's in the studio or being in this type of environment. Absolutely. By the grace of God in our community and our faith, separating men and women does not grant superiority to one over the other. In fact, a number of news articles are now recognising the need to host and protect what they call women's only spaces. A project organised by the charity Inspiring Change Manchester involved a focus group speaking to women directly about women-only spaces and they found that many women don't feel safe in mixed-gender spaces and so prefer women-only or segregated spaces. Women in the project also felt that women-only spaces gave them an opportunity to self-express or share their ideas without feeling judged or suffering backlash. They further went on to say that in these spaces they felt understood and that it was an opportunity to learn from other women. When I read articles like this that quote uh, these ideals, they just all sound so familiar to me. This is what... 
This is what we, the women of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, have been doing for a century now, creating these segregated women-only spaces that offer sisterhood, comfort, compassion, understanding, safety, and religious and secular education for all women. That's what you'll experience in the women's side of any of our community events, not a feeling of inferiority or injustice. I have what... Sophia, I have one more question for you. What would you say to those who might allege that there is inequality and therefore injustice within Islamic teachings? Firstly, what I think really needs to be understood is that whenever the Holy Quran has directed its followers with any instructions, it's for every Muslim. If this wasn't the case, then there should be a completely different book for men to follow and a whole other book for women to follow. Pretty much all of the Holy Quran directs both men and women in the same way. I agree there are a few verses which are specifically for different genders, which I will come back to. But overall, the, he- the whole of the Holy Quran is for everyone, regardless of who you are, where you were born. If you believe yourself to be a Muslim and follower of the religion of Islam, then the Holy Quran is for you. A few examples of uh, some quotes from the Holy Quran are as follows. Chapter 2, verse 12, it states, He made pairs from among you. Chapter 4, verse 2 of the Holy Quran, it states, O ye people, fear your Lord who created you from a single being and created therefrom its mate, and from the two spread many men and women. End quote. From these verses, it's clear that the spiritual equality in Islam is the same for men and women. Now, where people may argue about the injustice is that they see in quote unquote religion is actually a consequence of culture. For as long as anyone can remember, women have always been required, uh, regarded as quote second class. And this is in all societies. Even here in the West, women weren't allowed to own property until the last century. And we all know there still is a gender pay gap. And even in a professional environment, there's the glass ceiling. So really, any inequality or or any injustice which may be perceived is purely a cause of a misogynistic society. Islam is such a beautiful religion that there is no differentiation of genders in this way at all. All Muslims are told not to gamble, to eat pure food, to help one another. True Islam actually empowers women to take control of their lives and to bring out the best version of themselves. I mean, just take this annual convention as an example. If Islam was unjust, then none of us would be here. There would be no need for women to intend. And however, it's a universally, it's, uh, it's universally recognized that women deserve the right to be educated in the same way. We have whole teams of women and even younger girls in the Nasarat who take on their duty, who sacrifice their time to come to this event to learn and empower their minds. Following on from this, we have our own section with separate speeches conducted by women as well. How can anyone, after seeing this, experiencing firsthand the freedom we have as women to be ourselves and show what we're capable of, say that Islam is unjust or it doesn't promote both equality and equity? Thank you for your insight. I think we keep coming back to the fundamental that people have equality in their basic rights and some principles and teachings in Islam are not equal, but are in fact an equitable adjustment. Chapter 36 verse 37 of the Holy Quran teaches us that all things in the earth have been created in pairs and that it is this that allows the natural world to have balance. Such is the wisdom that underpins the creation of the two genders, male and female, whose innate characteristics differ from one another, not in the service of inequality or oppression, but rather in the service of harmony, wherein each party depends on the other, where one can support and, un- support and uplift the qualities of their counterpart, whilst also fulfilling their shortcomings. 
thus establishing balance and justice within mankind. But the concept of justice through equity goes beyond gender roles. Sumra, how does the Khalifa of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community guide us to put principles of equity into practice as Ahmadiyya Muslims? How are both equality and equity practiced in the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in general? His Holiness Mirza Masul Ahmed, may Allah be his helper, our current caliph, constantly guides us through his many faith-provoking addresses. And in, in one of his Friday sermons, His Holiness recited a verse from the Holy Quran, and I quote, O ye who believe, be strict and observing justice, being witnesses for the sake of Allah, even though it be against yourself or against parents and kindred, whether he be rich or poor, Allah is more regardful of them both than you are. Therefore, follow not low desires so that you may be able to act equitably. And if you conceal the truth or evade it, then remember that Allah is aware of what you do. Chapter 4 verse 136. And in, re and in reference to this verse, His Holiness further stated that the verse that I have recited, I have many times related in my speeches and addresses to others. I tell them that when Islam talks about upholding justice and equity, the standard that it wants to establish for that is stated in this verse. Most of the people are impressed by it. They talk about it in their offices as well. But our job is not to impress them academically. To further the mission of the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, we need to show the practical examples of the Quranic injunctions through our deeds. We need to establish these models at community and societal levels. The world can challenge us on this. Later in the sermon, addressing the Ahmadi Muslims in particular, and I quote, the high standards of justice must be upheld invariably. So, when we shall set these high standards amongst ourselves, only then we shall be able to tell the world that we are the ones who, by bringing about a change in ourselves, by acting on the Islamic teaching, have the courage to dispense justice. And I think this is such a powerful sentiment. We spend time discussing these principles of equity and equality, but Sophia, as you said misguided cultural or social practices can bring them to naught if they are in fact not upheld by our, our actions. As our Khalifa guides us, we must bring about self-reformation and we need to truly adhere to these teachings that we talk about in order to benefit our own community and the wider society. The Ahmadiyya Muslim community provides a platform for individuals to thrive, both men and women, giving equality in everything they do, defying stereotypes. The Caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, may Allah be his helper, has always championed women's rights and stated in many of his, of his addresses, and I quote, let it be crystal clear that in no respect is a woman's status less, of, less than that of a man. I think if we take a moment to reflect on this powerful quote to show that the Ahmadiyya Muslim community has always advocated, advocated equality, equity and justice, Lajna Imaila, the women's auxiliary group of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, is one of the first women's auxiliary organisations dating back a hundred years. Now over the years, women have held hundreds of events, all organised and run by themselves. I know of course being here at the annual convention, for us Lajna, for us Lajna members, it seems so normal to just see Ahmadi sisters uniting to make this convention possible. 
For me, this is something I always share with my non-Muslim friends, as I'm sure my fellow Lajna members do. They're always so shocked and amazed, not only that women are capable, but that Muslim women have been given this opportunity over the past century. You know, in the West, women weren't even given the right to vote back then, let alone be able to carry out duties such as this. I think that's such a powerful thing to think about when you see Islam giving these rights to women 1400 years ago and the Ahmadiyya Muslim community following Islam's beautiful guidance. Our current caliph, may Allah be his helper, has also highlighted the importance of equity in one of his addresses, and I quote, For example, there are some girls and ladies who excel in studies and achieve extraordinary results, and Islam does not instruct that they should waste their talents or skills and only stay at home. Islam does not restrict them from fulfilling their potential, rather they can pursue these professions through which they can benefit humanity and serve mankind. Thus, women who have the capacity to become doctors or teachers or to pursue other professions which are benefit to humanity can do so. However, at the same time, they should not ignore their duties to their children and to their families. Such women should manage their time effectively and ensure that their children are not neglected in any way. Certainly, the first priority of an Ahmadi mother must always be the moral training of her own children. His Holiness further went on to state, Generally speaking, Islamic teachings have ascribed a division of labour between the sexes, and it is a great favour of our religion that, is, that it has made our respective roles and responsibilities so clear. End of quote. Thank you. Um, there really is no better way to say it. So thank you for sharing quotes from His Holiness's addresses. So you touched on the Lajna Imaila in your answer, and for me, one of the most significant means through which our community demonstrates equitable practice is the founding of the Women's Auxiliary Organization, also known as the Lajna Imaila. As you mentioned, the Lajna Imaila is one of the first auxiliary organizations that truly is for women, by women, and was founded by the second Khalif of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community at the time, His Holiness Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmud Ahmad. May Allah be pleased with him. Upon the recommendation by his wife, Hazrat Amatul Hay. Saleha, can you tell us a little bit more about the formation of Lajna Imaila, how this organization was established, what was the social context at the time, and what was the significance of establishing a women's auxiliary organization? Of course, um, this organization, as you've mentioned earlier, the Rishavar, was very passionately recommended by Hazrat Amatul Hay. May Allah be pleased with her the wife of the second caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community and the second caliph, the visionary that we all know he was, then established this organization which transformed the lives of Ahmadi Muslim women. Hazrat Amdul Hay was so eager to learn herself and improve opportunities for women's education that this was well before she was married to him. Uh, she wrote a letter to His Holiness requesting that he organize religious um, lessons for women his Holiness, the second Caliph, uh, may Allah be pleased with him, truly had some high expectations of the Lajnai Maila, which translates to a community of servants of Allah, and he highlighted this in an address to the Lajna delivered in Ghadian in 1922. In that address, he stated, and I quote, women's progress leads to the progress of a religion. And he said, remember that no religion can progress until and unless it's women's progress. For Islam's progress, uh, progress is important that you, as in the Lajna, progress. Women are like two walls um, in the four walls of a room. So if two walls of a room were to fall, would the ceiling of that room remain intact? No, absolutely not. End quote. We must keep in mind that the women are already held in a high regard due to the status they received from their faith. 
Then combined with the Caliph's visionary and compassionate nature, I'm confident that this understanding was unique to the Islamic society, as I'll explain in a moment. A woman's lap is also the cradle um, of the next generation. Islam has placed special emphasis on the education and upbringing of women. So this was a time when women in India faced hurdles as a result of the caste system, cultural norms, patriarchal attitudes, and a lack of access to education and career opportunities, which all contributed to women's subordination to men in India. The women's movement, which was established through a collective effort predominant of whom Pandita Rambai, who was also one of the ten women delegates who attended the National Congress session in 1889 in Bombay, Latika Sen, amongst others, were battling against these practices and attempting to improve women's status and rights. Women in Britain, on the other hand, weren't subjected to the same amount of his, uh, historical servitude as women in India, but they still had, a, had to battle for their rights and equality. So I would say that the establishment of an auxiliary, um, auxiliary group in India in 1922 in the midst of such a conflict actually brought Islamic teachings regarding women's rights to light, as it's conflicted with worn-out um, attitudes lacking awareness of women's capabilities. Ahmadi Muslim women uh, had previous to Lajnai Maila played their roles as cherished carers, making remarkable sacrifices and working in various areas, particular for the convention like the one we are attending today. The Auxiliary Association was founded as a result of the conclusion that women are better able to understand the feeling of other women. We think that in order to obtain the blessings of God Almighty, we must have a healthy and spiritual system in place which fully supporting uh, one another, ignoring one another's flaws and, and attempting to reform with patience, independence and courage. Lajnai Maila was founded by His Holiness, Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmoud Ahmed, who, was, um, who said to the organization, which at the time only had 14 members, Apart from gaining personal and spiritual knowledge, going forward the successful progress of the community is also dependent on efforts by women. Although Ahmadi Muslim women in the UK have been following Lajna's principles for decades before, the group eventually spread throughout the entire world and was formally founded in the UK in 1957. There were 30, uh, 34 members mentioned when Lajna Imaila initially debuted in the UK and at present there are more than 12,884 members. Thank you, Saleha, for such a powerful and inspiring account of the origins of the Lajna Imaila, particularly when you contextualize it within the backdrop of 1920s India and as one of the groups that brought, as you said, the status of women in Islam to the fore. At a press conference for the annual convention held in Germany in 2019, His Holiness, the current Caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, may Allah be his helper, was asked about the role that women play in the community. An account of this was reported by the community's website, Al-Hakam, and I would like to read an excerpt of what was written. The article states, and I quote, His Holiness responded that we as Muslims follow the teachings of Islam, the holy book and the sayings of the prophet peace be upon him if we do not then this would be deviating from the actual purpose of our religion it is an established fact that only a century ago rights were not given to women in the west it was islam that offered rights for divorce the freedom in choosing a life partner and other such privileges over a thousand years ago his holiness added that the following day the ladies would be holding their session in which the ladies would offer speeches that he would also <coughs> sorry the ladies would be holding their session in which ladies would offer speeches and that he would also be addressing them in their hall. Their side of the annual convention has an equal amount of effort and preparation behind it and the same facilities and amenities. His Holiness added at the end, my philosophy is if women work outside the shade of men, they flourish better. End quote. 
So Saleha, I think this final quote is quite profound. What is your response to these words by our Khalifa? Can you talk to us a bit more about what this last quote means, particularly in the context of the annual convention? Yes, I agree totally um, that these are truly cra- uh, truly well-crafted words and anyone hearing it can tell straight away that whosoever spoke such words understands the potential of women and believes that they are self- self-sufficient and capable of extraordinary achievement. Um, as being in the shade can mean holding a small status, uh, being at, other, uh, at the other's mercy and having little or no influence of uh, perceived weakness. Thankfully, we are thriving in a setting where we serve our faith in equal capacities outside the shade. In the context of this annual convention, women and girls are performing responsibilities and enjoying themselves similar to the men's side. For those of our listeners who may not be aware, in this convention we have two sides, one for men and one for women, with restricted access for the other and less exceptional circumstances, as I'm uh, I'm sure all of you can imagine. Similar to the safe spaces uh, for women and girls, as it's now commonly referred to, that you mentioned earlier in the episode, um, forming respect and inclusion of all women's requirements, thus empowering us to take control of our responsibilities without the judgment of men, regardless of many humanitarian um, examples proving their Uh, positive impact on girls and women the concept of safe spaces is much spoken of but not seen practiced as much in media where solidarity is established so to further my point here we have tailored facilities to women catering to our conveniences such as a tent for administration crash areas buggies nappy changing etc or uh, or accomplished by thorough meetings by the women in charge, navigating the the logistics and, of course, liaising with the men's side when needed. Um, To go in a little depth, if I may, um, we have our own security team, first aid, uh, hygiene, uh, speeches, stalls of respective female-owned businesses, and the list goes on. This way, um, and I know today's panelists will agree, we are able to relax and focus on our spirituality in a way that feels comfortable, just like the uh, just like we would in our homes, but better since we are with our women who sh- with other women who share our zeal, enhancing the ambience with sisterhood and love. Additionally, we will uh, be um, additionally we'll be here for the majority of the three days, so a laid back atmosphere is essential. For instance, consider how we are currently conversing at our on site studio. Thank you, Salaha, for that. I have a question that I'd like to uh, uh, to ask all of you actually. Um, because I'm really interested to hear everyone's personal experience. We've all been part of the Lejna Imbaila since our teenage years. How would you reflect on being part of this organisation and how the Lejna Imbaila embraces equity? What is the impact or significance of this in empowering women, both within the community and in wider society? So, Alha, since you've given such a great account of the origins of Lejna, why don't you go first? All right. I believe we ha- we are really lucky because I cannot recall a single instant when Lajna Imaila did not serve as a soothing balm. We learned together, lifting one another up, with members extending their shoulders to handle our burdens so generously. For example, I remember when me and my family were going through some tough times. The Lajna members read the difficulty from our expressions despite us trying to hide them. And even though we knew that their lives weren't um, any easier, they offered a helping hand and a bouquet of heartfelt prayers. This gesture is rare in the wider society we live in, but common in our community. Also, it's difficult to practice your faith in a secular society where the solution to your problems is either money or other materialistic endeavours. 
with no mention of God and if any, only in the negative. So when you have a community with the same belief system as you, um, who support your ideology and uh, sometimes your struggles, it gives you a peace of mind and aids your journey into becoming spiritual beings as you yourself aspire like uh, the others around you. The upbringing of children becomes easier as the workload is distributed with no concept of give and take. As someone who has only known this way of life, I pray more people come to discover our faith so they can too benefit from this heaven in this very life. I am truly spoiled by the love I've received. The encouragement is unparalleled in that you go on to achieve so much outside of our events, that being academically and professionally. I kid you not, and I'm sure all of you can agree that since a young age, we've been practicing writing, writing speeches using references from scholar, uh, from from scholar, uh, from books. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, um, uh, such books. So, um, without uh, realizing, we have had a head start in a sense in terms of um, research and education in general, studying not only English but also Urdu and Arabic. This equips us with a toolkit to tackle any new um, task confidently without too much hesitation in that we are always, uh, we're always ready to do any task. Thank you so much, Dory. I always get stuck on scholarly as well. <laughs> um, so what about you, Samra? Yeah, I think for me, Lajna Imaila has given me an identity, a purpose and a belonging to a, like, a remarkable community. I carry this unique identity with me wherever I go and it's given me the scope to do things which many have never had the opportunity. From the age of seven, being part of Nasratul Ahmadiyya, this, this is the young girls auxiliary group, partaking in public speaking, holy Quran recitation competitions, sports, team building camps, you know, the list goes on. And I remember at one of our annual national gatherings doing a speech in front of thousands and my mum bless her in the audience doing all of these hand gestures to keep me going and I was surprised that I was even able to stand up straight because my legs are just you know pure jelly but yeah each year I was able to improve and I felt more comfortable in public speaking and by the grace of Allah when it came to doing presentations at school uni work I was able to do these with ease because of this foundation that Nasrat al-Ahmadiyya and Lajna Imaila provided me with you know, there's always someone on hand to help. Being part of this auxiliary organisation, you're never alone. Even when I was applying to university, jobs, there's always somebody to help and guide me through the process. And I think going forward, you know, I've been blessed with the opportunity to look after some students myself. And I hope that, inshallah, I'm able to guide and inspire them through being part of Lajna Imaila. My friends, you know, also know that I'm uh, I'm part of Lajna Imaila and the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. I'm always telling them about the work and events that Lajna Imaila does, and I think this itself speaks volumes about promoting equality, because most importantly, they were able to first first-handedly experience this through the many incredible interfaith events that Lajna Imaila hosts, such as you know the peace symposium. I took my friends to the peace symposium, and they were amazed at the, the super hospitality from members, especially at how well organised the event was and you know just how welcoming everyone was. And one of my friends even spoke about how she really felt the sisterhood between everyone, how special it must be to actually have that community. And it's something that she wishes she had as well. Yeah, by the grace of God, it truly is something special. Um, Sophia, how about you? Um, I think we are very fortunate and blessed to be part of this amazing community. Like Samra mentioned, being an active member from such a young age really inculcates you to bring out the best of yourself. There are so many hidden talents, uh, hidden skills, abilities, and 
all of this that we all bring to the table in different ways. Lajna Myla really shows impartiality, fairness and justice for all of its members, whether it's at a, la- a national level or a local level. We have different types of people who are leading others. We have doctors working with teachers, working with homemakers. I mean, just look at the diversity we have in this studio. We're all from completely different backgrounds, and yet we have achieved so much just working with Lajanai Myla. That really brings out the point of unity and strength in numbers. I wouldn't have imagined that I'd be leading a team whilst doing duty here at the annual convention, but having that experience of being part of a team can help in all aspects of my life. And I really believe it's a skills that I have learned being part of this organization and community, um, which has helped me in my own personal career. We all grow through, uh, we've all gone through so many changes in life, whether it's growing up from school or changing jobs. But one thing which has always remained a constant in my life is being part of Lajna Imaila in one form or another. And then this comes back to the point of having faith in God and just trusting that this bond we have with one another can help strengthen our bond with our God. As Samra mentioned, the sisterhood, this is really important in our current society. There has been a surge in mental health awareness and knowing that there's a community who is there for you 24-7 without any hesitation or expectation, we're all here for each other, to bring up each other and really encourage everyone to be the best version of themselves. Absolutely, and Islam teaches us that having a strong communal bond is actually really significant in building our relationship with God. So last but definitely not least, Anila. <laughs> well, I mean, I wholeheartedly agree with what everyone said. Um, I mean, I, when I think about it, the sheer amount of opportunities Lejna Myla has given me is incomparable. I mean, how many of us here thought we'd be on radio when we were younger? I definitely could never have imagined it. And I think the annual convention highlights both equality and equity for us. Um, the fact that women have their own site and run it, mirroring the departments that the men's side have, shows how much Lajna Imaila empowers women. And when you think about all the different departments, um, like Saleh mentioned earlier, the sheer number of different skills that are united in this blessed event, it really is quite mind-blowing. I mean, I personally have received various training throughout my time in Lajna Imaila, and I've done so many different things that I never thought I would have done. Um, so like I've delivered workshops on regional and national levels and I've organized trips and learned a lot about Excel and PowerPoint. I mean, I had to li- deliver fire safety training at JALSA this year, which <laughs> I've never done before. So, you know, and as Samra said earlier, there's many years of participating in competitions definitely helped me gain a bit more confidence when interacting with others. I mean, I remember being part of Nasrath with Sophia, and I feel like we were quite quiet back then, weren't we, yeah. Sophia? <laughs> like, we didn't really like to speak up in front of others. Um, but here we are on a radio show together. So how times have changed. Mm. Um, what about you, Durishwar? You've asked all of us about Lajna, but you're a Lajna member too. So what, how, what are your experiences? Um, I just have to echo everything that you've all said. Lajna in Myla has been a place of learning and growth. It's been a constant in my life as far back as I can remember. It's an anchor that offers, um, as you all said, a sense of belonging and identity. Importantly, I think that being part of the Lajna Amaila has taught me the value of serving others. 
um, you know, being all grown up now and helping to raise funds to build schools and hospitals in places in the world that are desperate for them. That empowers women of other com communities as well to having the opportunity to sit and discuss and broadcast the beautiful teachings of Islam, challenge misconceptions and hopefully reach other women who can benefit from listening to this discussion. Even down to the career I chose to take up in education, supporting young people to learn and progress has been inspired by the spiritual knowledge and development I've gained from being part of this blessed community. Mm. So thank you to uh, so much to my lovely in-studio panellists, Anila, Sophia, Sumra and Saleha for your thoughts and insights. I think we've managed to have a great discussion today. We've touched on so many different topics and Islamic concepts. Central to today's episode was the theme of equity and equality and how appropriate, uh, how an appropriate balance of the two is necessary for establishing justice within society. This idea has been enshrined in the beautiful teachings of Islam and under the guidance of His Holiness Mirza Masrur Ahmad, may Allah be his helper, members of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community strive to put these teachings into practice. As we see here at the annual convention, equity and equality in Islamic teachings, law and practice serve to empower and uplift not just women but all individuals and establish balance and justice and importantly peace in society. Um, so you've been listening to Sisters on Air on the Voice of Islam Radio. The show was produced by Mrs. Shireen Butt. Uh, we are, uh, well, has, uh, His Holiness is currently sat in the women's side of the annual convention and soon we'll be tuning in to listen to his live address.